Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to your book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm Daisy Buchanan. I'm the author of the non-fiction books How to Be a Grown-Up and The Sisterhood. And if you're a regular listener, you might know that my very first novel, Insatiable, is coming in February. I know quite a few of you have pre-ordered it. Thank you so much. I wish I could buy you all a bottle of champagne and a spare kidney. If you're new to the podcast, Insatiable is a novel I have written for every woman who has ever felt frightened of her own appetite and who has been terrified of telling the world what she wants, but even more terrified of what might happen to her if she doesn't try. The people who have read it assure me that it's funny, filthy, heartbreaking in places, but ultimately uplifting. And if you're a Your Book listener, you can pre-order an exclusive signed hardback from Waterstones as a link in the show notes. Now to this week's guest. She's someone I've admired for a long time. She's courageous. She's open about the challenges of balancing physical and mental toughness and vulnerability. She's got an enormous platform and she consistently uses it to champion the issues that are important to her. And she has just written a brilliant book, Not the Type, about all these things. Camilla Thurlow is an author and a humanitarian worker. She's worked with the landmine clearing charity The Halo Trust as an explosive ordnance disposal expert. And you may also know her from the 2017 series of Love Island and fallen in love with her when she started a discussion about feminism on primetime TV. Camilla and I talked about the power of memoirs, the pleasure of building your bookshelves and the problems we all face when we curate an extensive digital footprint. I was wondering, first of all, about what you were doing in terms of reading over the lockdown mm. and when you were writing. Was it something that you found comforting and reassuring? Because I also know some people loved escaping into books and some yes. people found it really difficult to focus when the news is just so scary and constant. Yeah, I wasn't great at reading over lockdown, being completely honest. And I did a fair amount of kind of buying books and not getting around to reading Ah. them but thinking that I would I was like I've got all this time I'll read and read and I definitely didn't. Is there anything here that you've not read yet but you're excited about reading? Actually this but this was lent to me by my sister David Sedaris Ah. me talk pretty one day um my little sister just lent me that I've been wanting to read some of his work for a while so she said she recommended that one we do we quite often do little book swaps, me and my younger sister. So that I'm lent excited her about anything. I lent her, I think, Lisa Didio, Three Women. <gasps> oh, yeah. we just had her on. <laughs> Did you? Yes. I love her. I really love her. Um, 
and yeah, and a few other bits and pieces. But my younger sister reads faster than I do, so sometimes we have a slight imbalance going on where she gets things back to me and I'm forever <laughs> hoarding her books here. And are you sort of saying, yes, of course, I'm, I'm reading it right now, it's <laughs> yeah, very good. Exactly, exactly. And let me have a look at that, Sidaris, because I'm trying to... Is it all right if I yeah, put yeah, it up? Yeah, yeah, to help yourself. Can we... Um, I brought some spray. <laughs> I can disinfect this. I'm trying to remember which ones because I always get this confused with um, "Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls." Uh, things that I didn't think would ever make me laugh. David Sedaris can make me laugh at. That's what everyone keeps telling me. So I'd said to my younger sister, "I want to read something, but I want something funny." I don't know why I was going through that patch where I couldn't really, couldn't really face even a novel that was quite immersive in its content. But if it had anything emotional in it, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get through yeah. it. And so that's what she said. She said that David Sedaris was the one to read. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to starting that. The last couple of weeks have been slightly uh, busy. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't got underway with it. But that's probably next on my list. Um, and I think will be quite a nice escape I'm look yeah I'm definitely excited to read it which is quite nice you know how sometimes you'll put a book on your shelf and be like oof that's going to be a real challenge you know when someone tells you actually about mm. a tv series they'll go it's great but you have to just get through the first episode yes. or the first three series yeah exactly <laughs> exactly whereas I think that's just going to be from the word go have you read um, Such a Fun Age by Kylie yes, Reid? Yes, I have yes I actually I really am such a fan but I really enjoyed that but I think I think I need to read it again. I think it's one of those things where when I you know when you see something go on the book along list mm. you you wonder did I get everything out of that that I was meant to? I because I read for enjoyment. Sometimes I'll come away and I'll be like oh yes I just so loved that book and it was really interesting. But then I maybe missed some of the beauty of the writing. I actually so this is my friend's book The Doll Factory by Elizabeth oh. McNeil. Um, and I went to school with her, so I know her, like, so well. And the book is just so beautifully written, so detailed, the amount of research it must have taken to do it, that when I read it, I had this different appreciation for it because I knew she must have done all that, which I sort of forget when I read other books. I I don't think about how much has gone into you know, the research side or the structural side or building the world up. I just read it and think someone sat down and wrote that quite easily, but it's not as easy (laughs) I often think that the easier to read a book is, the harder that writer has worked. I so agree. I think that's why... See, something like Alanda Botton or, or even actually Elizabeth Day... The genius is all happening at their end. Mm. So they do all the hard work of kind of distilling really complicated feelings and kind of aspects of the human condition into these sentences, paragraphs, pages that you don't have to reread. They're not complicated. You get to the end of a page and you're like, yes, I've really learned something. And you just feel so clever <laughs> when you're doing it. You're like, oh, I've just understood really complicated things so easily and that's because of what they do as opposed to what you have to do as a reader. I suppose it's like being a really talented architect isn't it yes. and you look at a beautiful building and you think that is poetry and that makes sense yes. and everything fits but 
And of course they did it like that because there's no other way. And yes. I think that's and when the writing really flows. Yes, um, exactly. But tell me about the doll factory because I don't know the story. It's the most beautiful edition. It's got really it gorgeous end And oh, beautiful she signed this one. Yeah, oh. I have a few different. In fact, I've got them like a pile, a stack of them down here. But I should give you like the proper blurb and do her justice. It kind of explores these quite dark. It's sort of, I call it gothic, and I'm hoping that she's not going to be offended because I've called, called it that. But it's a, so it basically follows Iris, who works in a doll factory originally, painting the faces of dolls. And that's interwoven with another story of Silas, who, yes, he's, so he's a taxidermist. And so their stories are kind of interconnected, and it's all set in Victorian London, and it's all about kind of art from that time and sort of he's quite obsessive he's like an obsessive character and it has quite a gripping dark ending but I would highly recommend it well I am sold I feel as though if one was the sort of person who loves um Jesse Burton which I do that's the sort of book that you would like exactly it's exactly so the muse is actually not not too far along Ah. from her but she yes it's exactly that style of book and it's but it must take so much research to understand that time and she references very specific events that genuinely did happen so how she managed to structure her story which was fiction into a non-fiction time period I always think is to be a brilliant writer and an historian I mean I I hate her already (laughs) (laughs) but she's always been that kind of person she's like incredibly detail orientated and she really like she's quite an inspiration to me because she had a very I would say kind of the she's incredibly intelligent and she went through university and everything and did exceptionally well and then dropped into one of those consultancy careers that kind of quite a few of the people I know ended up doing and then decided and realised it wasn't right, became a potter. And then gets up at 5am and goes to bed very late to write novels and yeah and then had this incredible debut novel and sort of everyone went oh my gosh what an overnight success and of course all of us who know her have seen years and years of very, very hard work, which I think is true for so many writers. It's that it's been much more of a 5am success, yes, 5am yes, every day yeah, for years. Yeah, and a lot of ripped up pieces of paper and and um, screaming at laptop screens than anyone ever realises. <laughs> <laughs> there's a detail in your book that I love that I wanted to ask you about. You talk yeah. about seeing men are from Mars, women are from Venus yes. on the bookcase. And I was thinking about how books are such sort of big visual prompts, especially when you're little and you just sort of absorb an image or an idea, even if you don't know what's kind of under the covers. Can you, are there any other books that had a big effect on you formatively, whether they were books that you just saw or can you remember the first book that you read that felt like something you'd chosen to read that didn't come from a parent or teacher? I was really obsessed with, I, I don't know if it was called Nurse Potter, but you know the Osborne books and Nurse Potter was like one of them. So really, this is really young, but I like obsessed completely obsessed with that and dressed up as a nurse for an entire year of my life and I was quite like that when I was young like I picked things up from the world around me and then when I was sort of like mid maybe seven or eight I was obsessed with kind of famous five secret seven 
Um, and obviously there's George in the Famous Five who mm. cuts off all her, has very short hair and is quite a tomboy. And I made my brother cut off all my hair and that was, you know, and I asked people to call me, <laughs> call me by a boy's name and I had this thing where I really wanted to be a tomboy for a long time. What was your other identity? Was it a version of Camilla or was it completely...? <laughs> no, it wasn't really a... Well, I suppose it probably was, actually. I don't really... Yeah, I don't really know, but I was quite... Because I was influenced by the book so heavily, it was that I wanted to be a tomboy who went and solved mysteries and that became my persona. I picked it up from what I'd read. I don't know if you agree with this or not, but it feels as though that had quite an impact on what you then went on to do, to be that sort of fearless and having adventures and being the centre. I know, and another thing that I thought was so interesting about your book is that the contrast and contradiction, and I think it's something we all have, that, you know, we want to be good and follow the rules and be approved of and seek yeah. safety, but at the same time that you have put yourself in these thrilling and challenging situations. I do think some of that was picked up from what I read actually maybe not quite as young as like seven but I was obsessed with and I still have a few of them up here uh things like Tim this is the story of Tim Hetherington who was a war photographer who was killed in Libya so here I am and Paul Conroy who was um Marie Colvin's photographer that traveled with her um and this is actually all about that you know their final few days under the wire and um those were the books that I really gravitated towards and I couldn't quite understand why because I had this fascination with I guess conflict but I had no desire to be part of conflict like I couldn't couldn't reconcile these two ideas that I found those books to be the most interesting Uh, Sebastian Junger's tribe is there as well and again those were all just fascinating to me but I that wasn't what necessarily appealed to me and I quickly realised that actually, to be honest, it's probably more... It's more the effect that conflict has for those who are within it and for those who are affected by it. And that was something that I wanted to understand more and and try and be a part of, I guess, reconstruction efforts. Um, but equally, I think there's a really complicated thing with conflict where it has a quite devastating effect often on the people who are even part of the action. Mm. And that was something that kind of stuck with me. And the charity that I went to work for, actually, obviously, some of the people who worked there were ex-military. And so it kind of fascinated me that they now worked so hard on removing explosive remnants of war. And how does that trajectory happen? Um, So, yeah, I think... (laughs) It's a tricky one because it's not that I followed the paths of the people that I read about and admired because they had such different paths mm. to the one I had, but I was able to glean something from that that gave me an understanding of what maybe interested me or where I thought I could be useful. Because um, I suppose the immediate aftermath of war and conflict, it's all of the extremes of humans, I suppose. And as you say, you know, what it's like to be with people who are having to, you know, endure the consequences and rebuild a life and that it's actually very constructive, I suppose, to bring structure in the sort of the wake of devastation. Yeah, and I think... (laughs) There's a so another person there whose book I absolutely love is Dr. David Knott, War Doctor, and so he 
he would go to places on his leave time from working in the NHS here to help to basically to to help those who civilians who were being affected um so he went to some really tricky areas and and he still works very closely with those who are being um injured and killed around Syria and so I actually the reason I keep this coffee and that's very special to me is I had already bought his book but then I volunteered at an event that he spoke at and he is just this very I would say mild-mannered lovely man maybe like the last person you'd expect this from our the way we stereotype people who we associate to go into that area he is in every way kind of calm and just so lovely and he's gone to these extremely dangerous places and done extremely difficult things and you start to realize like our understanding of who will do things or who is capable of mm. of taking on that role is slightly warped by maybe the movies that we see mm. and the tv programs that we watch that talk about conflict in this way of being quite i guess heroic sometimes and and often it's like the big muscular man this type that we associate and actually within within conflict there's obviously the the hundreds of men women and children who are desperately terribly affected by it who are just trying to go about their ordinary lives but there's also equally many people who are going into that situation to try and help um who we don't always see we don't see that storyline um and so it's just important to me that those kind of stories i guess are told because mm. they are a huge part of what puts everything back on the right track because i suppose to do it well and do it effectively you can't come in with an ego you have to be someone who i suppose it's you know responding not reacting isn't it that's exactly what it is there's it can't be that you're going in with some sense of being being heroic that and that's the, another problem is when people go in with that idea and actually I touch on this in the book as well that they're mm. doing something to help yeah they're much less likely to respond when someone says yes we do want you to help but can you help us like this because mm. this is actually what we need instead you kind of get this lopsided structure where it's like well we're helping so what we say goes yeah. and that's not helpful at all to anyone and it's not respectful either and it doesn't it doesn't aid anyone really um so it's just really important and and that is the thing you know you have someone like David Knott who went in because of something that he believed in and some a skill that he knew he had that he could help and then did what was asked what people were asking him to do and still does i mean still really is so instrumental in raising awareness of how people are affected by conflict so perhaps i was reading things that were related to my ultimate career path but they didn't necessarily lead me in a direct route mm. there they sort of circled around <laughs> things and then finally it it kind of clicked into place i do think that things you know just sort of come to us at times and they're in bits of our brain and we you know they don't it's not necessarily something logical or joined up but it's mm. a slow slow revealing over time yeah and that's i mean that's why it's so important not to see things as mistakes all the time like mm. I feel like and again I mentioned this in the book <laughs> like your 20s feels like a series of bad decisions mm. and actually quite often you're just 
making a decision with to the best of your knowledge and the best of your ability at the time and a year later you realize maybe you need to move in another direction and so you do and that's it it's all about growth and and allowing yourself to change and books are definitely such a big part of that because they give you that ability to perhaps look at someone else's experience without necessarily having to take the plunge yourself like I read lots of books where I go oh, I couldn't do that in a million years but it's nice to read about <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about war doctor and that I want to support your efforts without yes yeah I have no medical skills I'm gonna, you know my help wouldn't be helping I think yes. I'm helping more by reading the book and staying away um but that does make me think of the book I love that I see on your shelf expectation by I love that book. That's my favourite book that I've read this year. Really? Wow. I just, oh my gosh, I just, and I didn't expect it. (laughs) I didn't expect expectations. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I didn't realise it was going to be as good as it was. I don't know if it's just something that resonated with me. Maybe I read it at exactly the right moment. You know, that occasionally happens Mm. when you read a book and it's like bang on. But I just, I just loved it. I found it so absorbing and really real. And yeah, I came away quite sad that I had to say goodbye to, to oh, all the I people that, in when it. When you really ate, when you get to the last page. Yeah. Like, but I've loved hanging out with you all. But I reread things a lot. Ah, oh, um, do you? Yes. Me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite an anxious person. And um, I found out the other day, because I rewatch TV programmes a lot as well, it's part of its safety because you already know the ending so so I I definitely reread things knowing that I'm going to get to the same place again especially if I've read something where I really love the characters and it's the idea that bad things are happening to them first time around it's awful and second time I know they're okay in the end yes that's very true Um, but I thought about expectation because I was thinking about the idea of mistakes and and I think we all have this a bit in our 20s when you feel as though there is a right way and a wrong way and if something feels uncomfortable or it doesn't quite work out oh wait I did it wrong I did it wrong I made a mistake and that they're all unwittingly almost looking at each other or not even looking at each other but thinking, oh, I should be doing what they're doing yeah. and comparing. I mean, And I don't even think there are many points even where they compare lives. There is just that sense that they've got this idea they should be free or they should be, you know, having a family. Or... Yes. But I think that when you're doing something because you think you should be doing it, then when it goes wrong, that feels ten times worse mm. than if you kind of made that decision for yourself and maybe did something that other people questioned and other people don't understand that feels horrible but it's you can kind of recognize that as being part of the learning experience whereas when you're doing things because you think you should be Mm. and then they all fall apart which kind of inevitably they will because it's not the right thing for you anyway that can feel quite crushing and uh, yeah that's what I just some of the other characters in the book that you can see uh them shaping you know the three women Mm. in it shaping their lives to kind of fit around these other characters when you're reading it from their perspective you just suddenly clock some things that they're doing that Mm. isn't a result of anything internal it's all external Um, and that's harder to spot in real life but it's worth a try (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right I was thinking about about, um, Eleanor Oliphant as well which is a book I loved and you know that it's about someone really living in fear and living in a space of like reacting to this awful awful thing and then you know the happy ending is that she it sounds so simple to say she gets to do what she wants but even being able to find the room to think about what you want 
you know, and her slow and gorgeous liberation is so powerful. I love that book, but I found that really interesting in, you know how she drinks all weekend. Mm. It made me think of the people sometimes you know who are functioning Monday to Friday, nine to five, Mm. and who just seem to have their life so sorted or seem to have a real, a, a really strong idea of who they are, which I wonder if that's how I would have seen her if I worked in the same office as her. Yeah. Maybe I would have thought she was totally, totally set on, you know, maybe yeah. I might not have thought she was like me, but I might just have thought she she had her own ideas of how she was going to do things. But and those sort of rigid, defensive, inflexible people are often the most vulnerable yeah. and they're just so desperate and protective because they can't show exactly, their softness. Exactly, exactly. And so... It did really make that really made me think about the people that I think I know, but are actually probably more acquaintances than close friends. How little I see of the difficult aspects of their life, and how easy it becomes to kind of just take everything at face value. That that was what I mean. I start, I don't know. I just had a few people that I suddenly thought about quite differently and worried, oh. maybe whether they they had sort of got these second lives that I hadn't really thought about before. I mean, that's such a powerful, powerful thing for a book to do. But, you know, going back to what you were saying about things that sort of feel too immersive, that's, I imagine that being quite an uncomfortable thing to sit with. Yes. Yeah, actually, and that is why I read certain books at certain times, because I do find books leak <laughs> leak out into my real life. And that's sometimes why I just need something a bit lighter and a bit funnier. Or I do that thing sometimes of reading non-fiction alongside fiction mm. to kind of have one as an escape and one as reality, I guess. You've got a chaser. Yeah. <laughs> sort of sent you. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like having a drink chaser. Something <laughs> just to refresh my palate before I go to sleep. I am definitely very responsive to what I read and what I watch and what I see, and that's why I'm quite cautious with how much I take in online as well, because... It shapes and it changes the way I am in day-to-day life. And that's why I always take fun, light paperbacks on holiday. Because I, um, if I'm going to go somewhere and try and have a happy time, if I read something dark, I am myself quite uh. dark. <laughs> um, well, let's assume you're going on a holiday. I'm magically <laughs> granting you two weeks somewhere quiet, got sunshine in a yes. pool. What are you packing to read? I mean, it and you probably... can reread anything you like. Is it, are you gravitating towards the Ken Follett? They look well thumbed. Oh my gosh, these are well thumbed because I love these books. But the reason I love them is because they're actually Jamie's, and they were given to him by his grandma. And Jamie <sighs> reads no fiction apart from the Ken Follett books, and absolutely loves them. And I did take one of these away. I took it. It wasn't on a holiday though, but I took it on a trip abroad, and they are just so brilliant. But how someone writes something of that length and keeps track of all the stories I will never ever now I've written a non-fiction already structured book which just went in chronological order and realized how hard it was to keep track of that that to me is like unbelievable but yes I would definitely take something like that away with me and reread I would love like something along here, the party, Elizabeth Day. Oh, love I love the party. And I was thinking about that as well being an example of a character where I can't remember his name, but all the way his kind of grubby, uncomfortable social climbing. Yeah. That I don't think he even really wants what he thinks he no. wants. And that's what makes it so devastating and yes. sad and painful. She's so clever at how she writes about people, mm. though, it's because she really understands. It's true. I love her. I love her fiction. Yes. Hungry for more. 
Um, and actually, I enjoyed this. I read this not that long ago, Ooh. The Bookish Life of Nina Hill. And I just read it because I quite liked the sound I of the blurb. I know that one, but I like the idea of anyone who's got a bookish life. Yeah. By, is that Abby Waxman? So Nina is like, a, she's sort of introverted and um, she does these quiz nights and things. And it has actually in it. So I really liked how they did this. You know how everyone has these planners nowadays mm. with like what they're going to do that day so like each chapter kind of starts with one of those planners and I wouldn't say it was like the most challenging piece of work but I I just really enjoyed it I found it very easy to read and quite like me it's really really (laughs) fun and it sounds like perhaps a less unhappy Eleanor Oliphant where you've got a heroine who's very very rigid in the way she lives her life and then to do a spoiler or a hint, according to the blurb on the back, she yeah. acquires an enormous <laughs> surprise family and has to start um, socialising with them. Yeah, so that I think that one might even have been one of the ones where Amazon kind of recommends ah. if you liked Eleanor Oliphant, you might like this. Are and you quite um, open to those or does it depend on the time and the day? Yeah, I, it definitely depends on the time of day. I can be quite obtuse actually and be a bit like if you're telling me that I want to read it then I will I, I but I do that with everyone even with friends when they say sometimes you must read this I can be quite like well must I like and then I'll wait and then I when mean, I read it now. no one's set yeah. the homework for yeah. 15 years but then I'll read them and I always always end up enjoying them and I'm like what was I holding out for there was no reason for that I don't know why I do it Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back to Camilla soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week, a girl returned by Donatella di Pietranonio. This is the eerily beautiful and devastating story of a 13-year-old girl who suddenly learns that the people she believed to be her parents have adopted her and they're giving her back to her birth family. This is a fierce, angry, vulnerable, tender book and it made me gasp. It's an urgent examination of poverty, pretense, wealth, class and sexuality. It's translated by Anne Goldstein, Elena Ferrante's translator, and while the author's voice is entirely singular, if you loved emotional violence and complexity of the Neapolitan novels, I think you'll adore A Girl Returned. Now, back to Camilla. What was the last 
book that came to you that as way? As a present or as a... Oh, as a, as a as podcast a, recommendation I was thinking of. Oh, as, as a, a present. As a podcast recommendation. Oh, Probably as a podcast recommendation, I Am Not Your Baby Mother. Oh, I just read that. I think we're talking to Candice next week. You are? Yes. Oh my gosh, I think she's so great. I love following her. Yeah, I found that so interesting. It really took me by surprise because... I, you know, I'm not a parent, yeah. and I thought, oh, I'm not sure I want to read a book about parenting. I'm like, no, this is everything about like race and yes. class and living in London. And she's just got such a compelling and lively voice. She writes yes. in a way that you just can't. I just wanted to hang out with her and keep yeah, reading. It's exactly that. And if you, because I then went to follow her online, and it is, it's that same voice, just a real force of what she wants to say and it that actually isn't as common as it you know as it should be Mm. it's not you it's quite rare to find that kind of voice but I think because of that I found that book quite emotionally difficult to get through which is bizarre because it's not me who should feel that pain it's obviously her pain um but I just could not stop stopping Jamie and reading out chunks of it and explaining the different stories I think the pram story in it I just couldn't stop thinking about for days afterwards oh, gosh, the woman opening the door, the door. And... it's like you said it's I know it is about the path to motherhood but it's so much more than that and actually it really reframed partly my also my understanding of women as nurturers in society and the value that we place on that role and how we respect it because I think it's taken me this year obviously I'm now pregnant and it's taken me this year I'm very afraid of emotions and I had to get to a point where I could over the last six months entertain these kind of conflicting really strong feelings all the time like you know you find out and you're very joyful but you're also afraid and you just have to start being able to hold those two things side by side. And I'd spent my whole life running from doing that. Because I think that if you're an anxious person, because I am yeah. deeply, deeply anxious, and you just spend your whole life doing forms of risk assessment yes. and trying to make everything safe. And yeah. then when you have a baby, you are opening yourself up to everything. Yeah. All this glorious and marvellous and amazing. and then, But also everything. And that's so daunting and Thrilling, yeah, but. I feel like it's taken me this journey to unlock some of that side of me. But I don't think that's true for for nearly all other women. That was the other thing. I was looking around me and suddenly realising how unconditionally these other women in my life loved so many things, like nurtured so many things, like some with their careers, some with their friendships, and how deep those feelings and difficulties that came with that they they would they were willing to take on all those emotions to be able to play that role and that makes them so strong and yet our understanding of that is so two-dimensional and really actually has become associated almost solely with motherhood and that's the only time where you can legitimately be very vulnerable very compassionate very empathetic yet those things are so important and that nurturing role is critical to our society in in almost every capacity and yet we don't celebrate it's not seen as strong I do think Elizabeth Day for me she's like this person I look to a lot for guidance Mm. um she's really one of the people that I see how her ability to share her vulnerability or to 
to acknowledge the the meaning of failure and to unlock that kind of I guess to be able to look at the joys of failure as alongside what might have been tricky about it has been so instrumental but it required so much strength from her and it required so much strength from other people as well but it makes such a big difference um she seems so open to living contradictions as all of us should yeah. be that yeah and again it's it's back to you know choices there is no no right or wrong and yeah. that you can be even a success can feel not like an unequivocal success or it can be tinged yeah. with failure because you think well it didn't happen how I planned for it or I didn't yeah. even I didn't feel like I thought I'd feel when I got this I think she talks about that so movingly and gets her guests to talk about it in such a powerful way too I absolutely agree and I just think that that her point of strength has emboldened so many other people and so you can see why she she's just so important as this person who can spread that out but that must take immense strength from her mm. side um there's another book on here that I would say this comes from a real force is Nimco Ali's book oh. what we're told not to talk about That's and to read that I love Nimco I just she is I mean <laughs> if you've ever seen anyone move through the world with so much power I just I just think she's so brilliant um oh, I've got a signed one yeah I I am known Nimco a little bit through um some charity work and we occasionally meet and have a nice coffee but she just I don't know how she does it because people are constantly trying to drain her energy away from her and yet somehow she is able to provide all this energy to all the rest (laughs) of us like I honestly I just whenever I look at what she's doing I feel invigorated and she's dealing with such traumatic material like what she must have to read and see on a daily Mm. basis with regards to FGM I couldn't even fathom and yet she manages to turn that into strength and power and her compassion is her strength and her ability to share her own story and be vulnerable is why she is as strong as she is and yeah it's just um just ref- I don't Already, know because I know Nimco a tiny bit from the internet I think <laughs> but just hear her voice and her like her liveliness and yeah. to do that that have such a, a sort of a spirit and a sense of fun I've just opened up on a page that children are selfish which is fine <laughs> and then the second sentence on the dust jacket is what does it feel like to have a poo after you've given birth <laughs> these these are things I want to talk I mean, about I these are questions know, I, <laughs> I need to find out <laughs> I was also thinking while well, we talk about vulnerability and nurturing but we have to talk about everything I know about love by Dolly Alderton which mm. you have two copies of um <laughs> Dolly will say, friend of the podcast and ours. And she was our first ever guest. So it feels nice to see her on shelves. Yeah, I did have to get that second paperback copy because that had the chapter about turning 30. Ah. And we're actually, so I was, I think I'm close in age to her, or at least I'm close in age by book ages. Um, And yeah, I had to get that to find out because I had a complete pre-30 panic meltdown as well. Um, but you I write about in a very calm and measured way. <laughs> well, we can all look back with hindsight, can't we? <laughs> can't we? But um, yeah, Dolly's another one where I think the genius is all happening at Dolly's end. You know, to take to write something as relatable as everything I know about love, to take these really complicated emotions and be able to put them 
to talk them through in an entertaining way in a, in within the stories but at the end of it you come away thinking yeah I felt like that or I'm I know what that feels like is actually incredibly hard to do and, and it's such a rare gift to be as dark and sad and moving as she is but so brilliantly brilliantly funny and yes. I suppose it perhaps depends on your your state of mind and, and when you're reading yes. I mean first of all I think that a lot of people have gravitated towards that book after a heartbreak yeah. and to be properly yeah. funny is to do them a great 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 service but that again it's that the genius of writing something that is such a pleasure to read exactly. and the, the weaving of it but and also just making those brilliantly funny observations where you're like but of course that's how it feels and how yes. it looks and how it sounds it couldn't yeah. be anything else and it's entirely original but it feels so familiar at the same time Ex- I mean that's exactly what it is it's that familiarity while still be just a sensational unique piece of work and the other thing is I liked about it is you go on this journey through time with her and there's the strings that I think we all feel we have where you recognize parts of yourself that just carry on through but are different because of different situations Mm. that you go through as you grow up and equally her book shows incredible capacity for change and that in itself is quite inspiring, mm. particularly, I guess, as a young woman, it shows that opportunity of not being stereotyped or um, not following mm. what necessarily is the traditional path. And it's quite honest in that that might bring some difficulties. Mm. For sure, that people are so quick to, to pigeonhole us. Yes. And it's what you were saying as well, almost like Ken Follett, to have that, you know, enough of a sense of who you are to write a memoir, but also yeah. to be able to see growth and change but I think you do that in your book it's hard enough I think for any of us to know who we are but to know who we were yes. and who we might become yes I well I found it it was really interesting because everyone kept telling me how cathartic I would find the writing oh process. that makes that infuriates me it is bullshit <laughs> writing your book is not therapy you need therapy when you're writing your book yeah, I mean I couldn't agree more I I honestly Oh, revisiting and having to look at yourself at the times where you didn't like yourself mm. and and try and be objective about that and share that story in a way that is honest and really reflects what you learned and got out of that situation as well as how difficult that situation was for you. Oh, just And there were so, so many times where I looked back and I didn't recognise myself. I just couldn't understand this woman that I had been or why I had been the way that I had been and I found it really quite tricky just having to go through that whole going through all those events again that at the time I did find difficult and then having to look through them all again. You have to watch the horror movie of your own life and you're saying don't open the door but I know I did open the door. Well I've always said because you know how people say your life can flash before your eyes and I just say please don't let that happen because I don't want to watch my life like there are so many bits that you wish you could tuck away into dark corners which is essentially what I had done I'd put away a lot of the difficult stuff into kind of boxes in my brain and you have to get it all out again and try and sort through it and it's not as easy as someone like Dolly makes it seem well that Um, it's getting you have to empty out all the boxes which is hell and then kind of make them tidy and yeah. be able to look at everything and know what fits and what doesn't. Um, my first book, How to Be a Grown-Up, um, gosh, that came out over three years ago. And I, started, we, I was writing the proposal five years ago. And even now, that is 
there and there are things that I look at and think, yeah. I might have written that differently or I feel differently. And I, you know, I wrote it with, you know, lots of love and I put lots of jokes in and yeah. I want it to be something that was uplifting and ultimately useful. But, you know, I think the things I thought I knew then, maybe I, I didn't know them at all. But that's the hell of, I think, writing any book, isn't it? How do you feel about the book now? Do you get excited when you see it or do you? Because at the moment I'm going through, I mean, they're only just being printed, obviously, but I'm like dreading seeing the actual book and I don't think I'm going to be able to actually, I definitely won't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible way of putting it. But basically it's like that real thing now where I'm almost like I've done it and I need to put it out there but I need to step back from it myself yes that does make sense because I know because you have you know however many rounds of proofs and I know that they sort of send a big paper manuscript and it's interesting having just done it with the novel and it being really uncomfortable but thinking actually I've matured enough to deal with this now whereas before I was like oh I don't I don't think I can (laughs) go back in I just was thinking of um I think it's end of days with Arnie and the promotional place is like an explosion behind him and he's just walking away yes, and that's, that's always it. been how I feel yeah but I think there does come a time when you will feel very tenderly towards okay. it and very very proud of I it and I think it's to normal to not not have that now I went through it bookshops are very triggering for a while oh, right. <laughs> I didn't like it when they had it I didn't like it when they didn't have it yes Yes, I guess that's the other thing. You walk in and you immediately take it personally. If they don't have your book, you're like, oh, so you chose not to have it in here. What was the reason when they probably just didn't get their delivery that morning <laughs> or something? There's a Marion Key story I love called The Other Side of the Story and it interweaves yeah. uh, three stories. And one of the characters is a writer and her first novel, it's a sleeper hit, and becomes this absolute smash. But when it comes out, they go to the local bookshop and they don't have it anywhere and they're really sneery when they ask a new sort of know that must be from Marion Keys and obviously now when she has a book out they fill the window with it yeah I I, I mean they fill everything with it I've read that many times it's cheered me up yeah oh that's so interesting I absolutely love Marion Keys actually I think she is fascinating and she puts so much of herself into her (gasps) books which is why I think they're so tender but my gosh must that take some because I I find even if I read a fiction book that touches on things that I myself feel or have experienced I find that quite in fact very upsetting so the idea of putting those things into something and having to work with that story every day is I just think that's phenomenal when you were talking about Eleanor Oliphant because like, that book was just so huge yeah, and I was thinking huge, did it strike such an enormous chord because so many of us now are using social media in a really addicted way and it flattens absolutely everything yeah. and it gives us this brief rush of something but it numbs and numbs and numbs and yeah. it and I really I really caught myself doing it at points in the pandemic where I'm like I know I'm here seeking connection and yeah. validation in something and the more I look the worse I feel and the less I'm getting yeah that is so interesting actually there's a really good book um The People versus Tech by Ooh. Jamie Bartlett which I would highly recommend for anyone who is interested. That is um, a very well found bit. I thought it was a proof a, at first. I came on a trip with me and <laughs> I think my bag got soaked. But I absolutely love it and I couldn't, couldn't be without it. It is such a brilliant book. So much, I mean, there were so many paragraphs in that where there was 
things that just really hit me, like this idea that now young people are growing up in an age where they kind of have to do this soft censorship of themselves because they're aware that they're always being watched. But then what does that mean for us developing our skills and being able to debate things Mm. and exercise moral judgment? Because if you miss out on that learning experience of how that takes place... That's quite a big thing not to have. But yet now we know that if you say like a tweet from 10, like say you did it 10 years Mm. ago when you were 16 and you didn't necessarily know all that much about the world, not saying, I mean, I as a 16 year old knew nothing about the world, but some know huge amounts. But then if you get to 26 and you can still be bound to that version of you because it exists on line and I do worry what that means for people being allowed to feel like they can change and grow when they have this kind of there's a kind of permanence to the version of themselves online and I think social media is such a double-edged sword because it makes you feel incredibly inadequate a lot of the time and at the same time it presents you with this solution to that which is to to present your own life mm. as being slightly better than it is. Well, I do think there and are lots of people who might be listening who'd be both profoundly shocked and enormously comforted to think, well, if Camilla feels inadequate <laughs> on Instagram, then maybe um, maybe that's the fault of the the medium, not the... Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's also that we have there has to be some awareness that all of this kind of stuff is tied essentially back to making profit mm. and historically uh making profit has often been related to most of us feeling pretty inadequate nearly all the time oh, that's so true there's <laughs> so much money to be made yes. from our anger and unhappiness yeah. yeah and equally that can come across as i think people think oh yeah but i know what it's like when someone says oh oh, you should want this new anti-wrinkle cream or whatever. That seems very obvious. But we forget that actually it's also positive images that can make us feel inadequate. So this kind of fetishization of young, being looking younger mm. and always seeming younger than you are or, you know, just glamorising of certain ideals means that the majority of us are going to see that ideal everywhere and feel like we're unable to fulfill it yes um, I do think what's the evil genius of social media as well is if you get a magazine and you see an advert and someone looks fabulous you think of course they do yes that is an advert my brain knows the difference yep. but when it's celebrities and your friends yep. and adverts and just everything all is one you have no idea yeah I mean that is the other thing and I it's something that I worry about sometimes because of course you don't want to share everything on social media and some things are private Mm. and we should all have boundaries that protect ourselves and what we want to deal with amongst just our family and Mm. our friends um, who we are closest to but that means that only certain aspects of our life will ever reach the online world and so it's never going to encompass all the difficulties and the struggles but as a you know, I I worry about it now in that if you looked at my uh, Instagram feed, you probably would think I had things pretty good. I do have things pretty good, I should say that. But as in, it, it maybe belies the fact that there are struggles behind the scenes. And that isn't because I don't want to admit that I do have difficulties in life. It's what I think is appropriate for for sharing with a wider world where I don't know the responses I'm going to get and social media has brought us closer to people who don't necessarily know us well don't necessarily have our best interests at heart 
And those aren't necessarily the people who you want to give you feedback or to comment about immensely personal, difficult struggles. Because they don't have the full story. But it does mean that all of our Instagram feeds are going to be different to our real lives. The hardest thing is to remember that everyone else's is different to their real life as well. Absolutely. Um, So I think I probably, I have a lot of freedom online that you don't have because I know that not that many people are looking at what I'm doing or are interested and that you have this with the thing that for everyone else it's purely fun or it's probably not fun in lots of ways but different but the sort of the pressures of almost running it before you run it through any actual filters on the app the filters in your head of do I need to think about a million strangers yeah yeah exactly uh, that's so so funny that you say that because actually very I think not many people realize that now I do have other fears when I share things online. Part of it's to do with knowing that you might potentially have influence and wanting to make sure that is as positive an mm. influence as possible. But also that as individuals, we are all quite contradictory and nuanced. And you know that it's very hard to get things right all the time. And sometimes it's easier not to share anything or to share only the image that is going to get you least horrible criticism. Mm. And that's what I think. So, you know, like, for example, say I'll be around a friend's house in those distant days of 2019, (laughs) not this year. Um, But there might be like a plastic bottle in the background Mm. And I obviously actively in my life tried to reduce my plastic intake, tried to make sure that I restrict it as much as possible but you might get a really nice picture with a friend that I would love to share and nowadays I'll even sometimes be too scared to share that if there's something like that that's just happens to be it might not even be mine but knowing how much I will have to explain that Mm. and uh I guess kind of justify it just gives me a real fear um and I think that's, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh, that's what happens when you have lots of followers. But I don't think it's like that. I think it happens at every level. I think people have a real fear of sharing the reality of their lives online because they know it's going to be scrutinised and judged. And so it's happening at every level. And I'm so curious about who is doing that scrutinising because I don't, mm-hmm. I imagine the people who are quick to say, oh, how dare you have a plastic bottle? Yeah. They're probably... I would be very surprised if those are the people who are sort of regularly, you know, volunteering and donating to environmental charities. But I think it's all part of that flattening, addicted unhappiness, that need to, you know, you feel unhappy and you feel inadequate and you need to take that out and one feels like one is punching up. I know, and that speaks to, I think it speaks to a load of different things. First of all, information on these platforms that come from other avenues bar the person you have to take with a pinch of salt but people are quite keen to believe things at face value no actually that's wrong to say I shouldn't say people are keen to believe them at face value I think they're presented as truths Mm. and they're presented in a way that sits alongside a lot of other information that is factual and therefore it's very hard to discern between the two it's that kind of post-factual era Mm. where where the sensationalised and the downright fake sits right alongside the very well-evidenced and extremely informative. So having those two things in your newsfeed does make people begin to see everything in through that same lens, I guess. It, it just is very mm. hard to 
to tell the difference. And then the other thing, I guess, is I used to always say I, I couldn't understand those people who were writing those comments because I just don't have one single friend who I've ever seen <laughs> leave that kind of comment on anyone's on anyone's Instagram. But that is, again, me operating in an echo chamber. And it doesn't take long... I think about how I respond to an email when I get an email about work when I'm in a bad mood mm. and how I pick through it and find the real negative points and and find the faults in the email and respond in a certain way. And then I think how I respond to that same email on a day where I've had a lot of sleep and I've eaten a good breakfast and I'm feeling great. And I realise that, that it's com- two completely different things. And so I I have to understand in a way it's important for me to try and acknowledge that if I was moving through the world consistently feeling in a difficult place, Mm. that when you look at things online, they can feel quite sharply pointed towards you. And you can feel like you are part of something that's not necessarily Mm. anything to do with you. And that can manifest in so many different ways. And it is interesting because, like you said, I mean, I get messages every now and again, and I'm like, why does that person think that they know enough about me that they can send that message but isn't that what we're being taught by social media that we intimately know people that we just don't (laughs) it it makes it so easy to to give that access to people yeah um on the subject of the downright fake um, I want to talk to you about this book because I love this and I interviewed Rachel um, last year when we had events (laughs) and we went to bookshops my friend Anna by Rachel Lich Williams have you read this I have and I find it fascinating absolutely fascinating when that story broke on Vanity Fair I was obsessed I even got from um, New York Magazine they have their their slogan t-shirts I have a fake German heiress t-shirt you don't see I never saw it when the story initially broke I heard about this book and I just blew my mind (laughs) completely blew my mind that I could see how someone could could create that fake persona and there were so many little bits in it actually that spoke to me it's like the bit you know when they she gets the personal trainer Mm. and they they're both going to this personal trainer and she's in the full perfect brand new designer sports kit and then um, Rachel's wearing like a t-shirt and shorts And even that spoke to me because I was thinking about, I went to an exercise class with a friend once, I hadn't realised it was like this kind of influencer class thing. I just hadn't, I thought we were just going to an exercise class and everyone was in the most perfect looking sports kit and I had just not worn the most perfect looking sports kit. I think I pulled it from the bottom of the laundry basket. Oh God, because but 10 years ago, your yeah. exercise clothes, they were just the clothes that had retired from being normal yes. clothes. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm and, going to sleep and in this t-shirt or I'm going to run in it. You suddenly realise how people can have that fake persona because I was like, yeah, exercise classes now are sometimes more about going and taking the, wearing mm. the right stuff, having the right water bottle and taking the right picture than they are about the actual content of it. I mean, there were just so many bits in that that I could Oh. oh, but when she has to pay on her company oh card, I, yeah, I felt really sick. I love Lem Sisse, My Name Is Why. I, his poem, I think it's called Invisible Kisses, is one of my absolute favourites. And then that memoir is just, ugh, I, yeah, I can't even. Had you read his poems before, before reading the memoir? Yes, I, I already loved his poetry. I mean, I really do like poetry a lot, so I was excited to read his memoir, but I, I had to read it in chunks because it is so 
so sad. I mean, it's just one of the saddest stories. And how he is the way he is now, I just can't even begin to imagine. Um, but that's what I like is that you see someone come from that kind of adversity and find strengths in it and also new ways to look at things like the way he can look back at his at himself in the past it was one that I reread actually in the lead up to writing my book because I think he's he's very honest about himself when he's younger but equally he's quite compassionate towards himself as well and so it as a book when you're reading it you just feel so desperately sad for this horrible system that he is within and this really oh, just a series of what seems to be such terrible decisions made by other people on his behalf but equally you see him as a very genuine nuanced person you know it's and that's gives the story that's why it's quite inspirational as well that's what gives the story it's kind of point of like you come away from it feeling also quite emboldened um, oh they were because they're from so where my parents live in scotland they um live near one of the houses that rabbi burns used to live in oh amazing um when he had his farm and we went there last year when we went back to scotland and they had some old copies of books and at the time we were thinking oh next year we might try and live in a house and I had like visions of me having this beautiful bookcase filled with old versions old copies of books and so I bought those two there and and that's it those two remain <laughs> my collection the, the beginning one day yeah one day I mean things have slightly not panned out as planned this year either we'll find them company at some point but I love like i I actually, because for a long time when I was travelling with work, it wasn't practical to take books. So I had a Kindle. Ah. Um, other electronic book tablets are available. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as much as I loved it and I was quite addicted to it at the time and, you know, I sort of treated it like a friend. <laughs> I do love having physical copies of books. So quite often, even if I've read something or listened to it on audiobook, I'll still buy a physical copy to have on my shelf and I do love looking in old bookshops and I think it's like I sort of have, I don't know, still some kind of vision of me in like a Notting Hill bookshop <laughs> looking up old oh, copies of books. Would that be the, as, a, as a buyer, is that, would you have the bookshop? Oh, maybe. Oh, oh, that's actually a great um, idea, owning the bookshop. Like, come and look at my lovely <laughs> yeah, collection of books. Come touch but... my books, but, <laughs> but that's it. But yeah, so... I know they say don't judge a book by a cover by its cover, but I do think old book covers are oh, really that beautiful. Copy, the um, one of the Scottish ones, that nineteen eighty four. It's a very simple sort of cobalt blue with a mm. white label. It looks very cool. It looks like it could have been. Are they first editions or they no? They're like definitely that? not first editions. But this one, I do. I know what you mean. This almost looks like it could have been a proof that was yes. sent out back in all of time, but it wasn't. Oh wait, no, actually, rebound first edition. Wow, there we go. But yes, but then I do have a normal copy of 1984 as well, because that one, this is what's bad, buying books for show. The books are for reading, but I definitely bought these two for show, <laughs> for show. And then my bookshelf quite, can, 
can come across as quite an eclectic mix because Jamie and I had quite different tastes and this is obviously a consolidation of the two. Is there anything that you've lent Jamie and been surprised that he responded to enthusiastically? Have uh, you been able to get him into the novels? Other than the Ken <laughs> I mean, the one book that I bought him that he just absolutely loved the same way I loved, which is not fiction actually, it was School of Life um, with the introduction by Alain de Botton. Ah. Um, and... Yeah, we had many a conversation. I mean, it's that that thing where you're both setting the world's rights, but you both think the same thing. And so we were sat there kind of just agreeing, talking over <laughs> each other, wanting to say. And actually, all of it comes from Alan's point. But <laughs> we think we're super intelligent talking about it. Actually, on this book, I uh, Bella Mackey's Jog On, I absolutely loved. So I get quite bad anxiety, um, which I know you've spoken about as well. And I bought that at the beginning of this year because I was meant to run the London Marathon this year. And two events have obviously come together <laughs> and made that not possible. But I started reading that because I hate running. I hate, hate, hate running. I hate the time in my own head. I I hate the whole process of it. And I'm not good at it, which for me, I'm like one of those people who wants to be good at things, which is just a terrible way of... Um, sort of moving through life but her I found that book really really helpful and I still found it helpful even though I stopped being able to I can't run at the moment (laughs) not able to run at the moment because my hips and back but um I just loved how she wrote about it and maybe running's not the thing for me but definitely she gave me quite a lot of inspiration that I could have aspects of things in my life that might actually help me in ways I didn't know so I did love that. Even that thing of, I thought if you went for a run, it had to be at least 5k. I don't know where that came from. I think it's from literally from school where the minimum distance you were allowed to do for running was like 5k or something. But when I read it and she was like, oh yeah, I ran up the road on the first one and then I came home and I was like, oh, you're allowed to... It's just uh, so fascinating how I had not, grown, I just hadn't grown up and realised that I could choose it's what like I was going to do. five k, and yes. that I had to learn because I don't think I ever did any running at all. Like, oh, and you do it for a minute and you stop and you go again, and that's allowed, and that's yes. how people. Of course, it's how people learn to run. It makes so much sense. I know. Oh, actually, so I've seen a few people doing that couch to five k challenge. And at the beginning, I was I was confused, but like you're saying, I was confused by it. I was like, what do they mean you run for a minute and then walk for a minute? That's, you know, you're meant to put your headphones on and and put your house keys in your back pocket and then you're meant to run gently up the road. And you'd, I, No, you're not meant to do anything. You're meant to do what feels right. But there's something about, she sort of tells that story of how you can learn what's right for you and you can have agency and ownership mm. over that and you can start to understand what things make you feel better and help you out generally in life and you can choose those things for yourself and that was my kind of takeaway from that actually Mm. in the end it didn't have to be running it was more I just liked how yeah I, I felt like she was talking from that perspective of liberation and and freedom to choose which I hadn't been good at. It can be like that for some people too, not always, but but it's supposed to be fun and pleasure and it doesn't have to be homework. And I think that sometimes people think, oh, I'm I'm not enjoying this book and I'm finding it quite hard to engage. That means I'm doing it properly and it's supposed to be. And I think sometimes it's good to be challenged by a book, but also if you only ever read things that just bring you pleasure and joy, then that's up to you. I so agree with that. And actually I often think... 
if something's really hard to read, sometimes, I mean, some things just are hard to read, like War and Peace is going to be, you know, an absolute mission to get through. But but sometimes that just means it's possibly not the right thing for you or Mm. it's not been written in a way that is right for you. I think that's why, you know, you get someone like Sadie Smith, Mm. who's so readable... And again, it's kind of that thing of genius all happening at her <laughs> her end. She writes about a multitude of things, fiction and non-fiction, in an intensely readable mm. way. Just because something is dark or complicated or isn't very palatable doesn't mean it, it's always, it always has to be written in a difficult way. Mm. And if you're struggling to get through something... Yeah, you can work. I mean, I I choose occasionally to try and work my way through something, but more often than not, I I go back to the people whose voices I feel like mm. I can I can understand. Um, it doesn't have to be about a topic I understand, but I more mean like their writing style. Mm. I can find a way to to take on the information. And reading should be a pleasure. It's so much of it is about having a way to escape and. And it's a, I think it's quite a constructive way of escaping because you do, you learn from fiction, from non-fiction. You learn little things about the world. You learn little things about yourself. And, you know, we're very lucky that it's something we're able to, to have access to. Huge thanks to Camilla. Not the Type is published by Bonnier. And it's a beautiful, powerful and inspiring book about navigating a path through the expectations of others and learning to live on your own terms. I'm Daisy Buchanan and I have been your book inspector. Thank you so much for joining me. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find us on social media at Ybooked. Look out for shelfies, suggest some guests and see what we're reading. I'll see you next time, but for now I leave you with this from Elizabeth Gilbert. If I could read while I was driving, showering, socialising or sleeping, I would do it. See you next time. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.